it's a career change guide for women of color. That's my book. It's called Don't Stay in Your Lane. And it is literally specifically for women of color, although it certainly could help other people who don't identify as such, to go from career A to whatever your next destination is in your professional life. So it's pretty niche. (laughs) I wanted to write it so that I could help more people that I didn't have capacity to work with one-on-one or who couldn't afford my services. So like I said earlier, it's like you take this and you should be able to coach yourself through the whole process from like burning out and wanting to quit your job to figuring out the new thing and negotiating and all that. So that was my purpose. And so for that, I'm not really trying to reach the masses. I really want people who need this book to be able to find this book. You're listening to Chief Executive Auntie, the podcast exploring the work lives of Asian Americans beyond the conventional doctor, lawyer, and engineer. I'm your host, Jennifer Duan Faltz. One of the best surprises that has come out of podcasting has been the, can I call them friendships, that I've built with many of my guests. I guess that's what happens when you have an honest conversation with someone for half an hour. I'm so happy to welcome my friend Cynthia Pong back to the podcast today. Cynthia is a feminist career strategist based in New York City and also author of the book, Don't Stay in Your Lane, The Career Change Guide for Women of Color. She has been a constant source of encouragement and inspiration for me since we first spoke last fall. Welcome back to the show, Cynthia. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be back. Yay! (laughs) Yeah, that's been one of my favorite parts is just getting to me. Podcasting is a really good networking tool is what I've discovered. It really is. I I never actually thought about it that way, but it's like a wonderful way for you to offer something and like add value for someone else and also get to have a fun conversation and have it serve multiple purposes. Brilliant. Good job, Jen. Thank you. I didn't make it up, but I'll take it. (laughs) I I really missed, I really missed the podcast in the last couple of months. So how have you Mm. been coping during all of this? Right. It's been, it's been a lot. It's been a bit of an emotional roller coaster, but you know, honestly, uh, I've been doing pretty much okay. I sort of feel like in a way I was built for this because I'm highly introverted. I had already worked from home before. I was very used to working with my clients over Zoom. Uh, and actually, it you know, it feels very weird to say this, but like my business has actually done better since the pandemic. But because the economic fallout's been so awful for a lot of people, a lot of people are considering career change, pivot, uh, job search, support that they're needing and looking for now. So it's actually been a lot of incoming. So I'm, you know, I'm grateful for that. Um, and, and just trying to make sure that I don't burn myself out <laughs> um, doing too many things. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've worked from home for three, four years. And so I'm used to this too. And then when my spouse came home and my kid came home and I'm like, Oh, I have more coworkers than I'm used to. That's, Lovely. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but it is really interesting, though, because like, I can manage my time, I can do sprints, I can like, I'm, I, I've been pretty productive in like the four hours a week that I have to do anything. in. Um, and that's, yeah, that is interesting that 
I think crises will force people to think about, hey, what am I doing with my time, with my life, with my energy? I'm actually probably looking at a career pivot myself. (laughs) No, that's, it's so real. Uh, I do think these moments in time, I mean, also because a lot of us were forced to take a pause, quote unquote, um, and, you know, this is not even talking about people who are directly directly affected by COVID um, and all the trauma like around that. Uh, but yeah, these moments sort of make us have to think like, what am I doing? <laughs> um, is this how I want to be spending my life? And uh, is this aligned with my personal, you know, mission or goals? So for that, I think it's actually, it's actually good because a lot of us, I mean, and I, I'm based in New York City, so it's very much always like go, go, go here um, until the pandemic. So I think a lot of people here benefited from that sort of having to take a beat and think. Yeah, for sure. Have you changed anything in how you run your business with COVID-19? I know you said you were already kind of working from home, but has anything in your business changed otherwise? I would say the biggest change, I guess, is speaking engagements are now not in person because no one's really gathering in person and now they're virtual. That was a bit of a rocky adjustment for me. I don't think it looked that way outwardly to people, but it's really different to give a presentation of, you know, 45, 60, um, 90 minutes to your webcam with basically zero like auditory feedback you know, um, sure, you can have people in the chat and stuff like that. And that I think is key to getting engagement, but you can't really read the vibe in a room the mm-hmm. same way at all. And that's a little unnerving. Yeah. <laughs> so that that's the one thing that I think has been uh, the most different. Yeah, I, um, I bounced back to my teaching background and was started teaching some online science courses to K-12, mostly high, middle and high school students. And yeah, the, like the first time I was like, okay, you all have your videos off. I Nobody's saying anything. I'm just going to keep talking. I'll be here until tomorrow night. Folks, have a nice day. <laughs> it's so hard. And like, you know, you, I, I actually realized that what, one trait that's beneficial for doing speaking engagements virtually is the ability to laugh at your own jokes. <laughs> have to rely on someone else and then like feel really awkward because it was silence because of course it's going to be silence um but yeah teaching oof I don't know how you do that that's I mean that's a tough audience I feel like to me to begin with and then added with all of this yeah you even even in person you have to do a lot of energy generation (laughs) and then when you and so I mean I don't our school district is starting the year virtually which I think is the right decision and that's what the teachers wanted but I'm like oh man good luck godspeed what what do you need can I buy you a camera (laughs) anything you want you may have right now because it's so difficult I know. Could we just also pay teachers like a lot more? That would I mean, be that would also that would also that would also work. Yeah. Be wonderful. I might still be teaching if that were the case. <laughs> I know it's uh, it's one of the, I mean, so many frustrations about various things about how our country is, but that's They're all coming to the them. surface now. <laughs> yeah, 
if you didn't know, now you know. Exactly. Um, so you are coming out with a book in just yes. a couple of weeks. And I know that you said that's been a work of three years. Oh, there it is. There it is. <laughs> How does it feel? Uh, it feels it feels really great, actually. But I but you were saying something. Oh, what was I saying? I don't know. I think you're saying something. Oh, it's about been three a book, work work in progress for three years. So it's not like you just started it during the pandemic. <laughs> no, it, yes. Th- I mean, while this has is coming out during the pandemic, it was not like a pandemic novel. <laughs> um, in fact, it's not a novel at all. But you know, I what I guess the the origin story is that um, you know, three years ago in 2017, I started g- getting really frustrated that I. I kept having to recommend certain like career advice books and resources to my clients uh, as like supplemental to our work. You know, I'd be like, oh, check out this book. It's really good. And then, you know, I don't have to like tell you all the points from the book. You can read it. We can talk about other more high level strategy, blah, blah, blah. But the books that I was stuck having to recommend were almost always, yeah, pretty much all written by white people. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of white women, some white men. And I just kept being like, you know, this book is good, but don't expect it to have any race or gender analysis. Or, you know, the advice in here is pretty solid, but you're really going to have to adapt it to yourself as a woman of color. You know, kind of caveats like that, as I would recommend the book. And I was just like, this is so annoying. (laughs) Like, why can't there be a book that is actually intersectional and centers you know, non-white people, like people of color or women of color, or, you know, just have it not be from a super, like, Eurocentric, Western, white, American lens. Um, So after kind of griping about it for a while, I guess I just realized it was one of those things where it was like, well, I could either continue complaining about it and having to, like, still recommend these books and, like, drive money towards those authors, um, or I could try to write my own. So, so I started, um, and, uh, I, I decided what might make the most sense because people are always really curious about my career change journey was to write about that, but also like turn it into a practical workbook. That's like, take this and you can coach yourself through your own career change or pivot. So that's what happened with the book. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think it's important you know, as when I'm, when I'm working with Mochi, where I'm editor in chief, like I have to sometimes guide guest writers. So like, okay, don't just tell me what happened to you, but tell me why it matters. And it sounds like you've got a really good mix of that. Um, Mm -hmm. I've read a couple of, I've read a few like memoir slash self-help is not quite the word I want for it, but like memoir slash like guidance books this year, um, kind of by accident actually. And it was interesting because feel like the one that was written by the queer black woman was much higher quality than the one written by the white lady with the big platform. And it's just kind of like, oh, so that's what it takes to get published when you're a queer black woman. And that's what it takes to get published when you're not. (laughs) That is so real. I, I believe that. And I have seen it, uh, you know, in so many times. Because it's true. There's like a different level of standards for us, you know, and, you know, I, I also, this is not a traditionally published book either. And we can totally talk about my decision to sell. Yeah, I'd love to. Not. Yeah. But like, 
I really, I really felt after doing a lot of research and talking to people, going to workshops, all that stuff, like I just kept feeling in my gut that this was not a book to try to sell basically to traditional publishers. Like I didn't, I, I was very hesitant to not have creative control over it to like subject my own personal story, even though it's like my personal professional story, but you know, still um, to basically white norms, like let's Mm. be honest. So I wasn't really interested in doing that. I was, I put it off for like a year. I was really dreading it. Cause like I I was at the point where I could have started either querying agents or um, really polishing a nonprofit book proposal but I just kept dragging my feet, Jen. And I realized it was one of those times where it was like, yeah, I was dragging my feet because part of me was trying to tell me no. Mm. Um, so yeah, so I, I can't really speak to the traditional publishing route, but I 100% agree that it is much harder for queer people, for people of color, for non-binary folks, for anybody who is not a straight, cis, white man or woman to get published. And it's kind of just a sad reality. Yeah. Even now, you know, like with the the movement um, happening, like, I don't know, I'm not holding my breath for the publishing industry to really like turn itself on its head and start. Yeah. Yeah. I, mm, (laughs) I like, I, I try not to be cynical and it's really hard for me to not be cynical, but I mean, there's, I part of me is like, okay, like there's a movement, like the, the white women are here. Maybe things will actually get done. And then part of me is also like, why the hell are you showing up late asking for cookies and wanting a pat on the back for this? And I bet still nothing's going to change. I know. I know. And I know neither of those is probably the most productive mindset to be in, but that's kind of where I am right now. I mean, I have made an effort to look for, I mean, that's what this whole season is about, is looking for Asian American writers, editors, and agents um, in publishing Mm -hmm. and journalism. And they're there, they're out there, you got to dig for them, got to look for them. Um, But it's kind of, I mean, it's kind of like when I first started the podcast, I was like, oh, how many, how many Asian American entrepreneurs I'm going to find? Oh, once I start looking, they're everywhere. Um, but they just don't yeah. get the same kind of visibility. Um, yeah. So whether it's going to get turned on its head, <laughs> but maybe there will be some changes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would love to hear more about the self-publishing process. I'm like, from <laughs> how do you get a physical book made? <laughs> no. The things I have learned. I bet. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a lot. I mean, so I guess... I'll, I'll sort of walk you through like the process. So, you know, I wrote, I wrote the book and um, I didn't really tell anybody about it until I really felt like there, you know, there was enough word count and you know, for a nonfiction book, the typical word count is like 80,000 or something like that. Mine is, I think I'll actually a little bit under that in the 70 something K range. Um, And then I was like, okay, I don't know if this is good enough. So I I had a dear friend, Fanny Garcia, who's an avid reader and writer, poet, all of that. And um, I felt like I could trust a very, very rough manuscript, a shitty first draft, if you will, to her. 
she was the only person I even wanted to give it to. I hadn't even shown it to my spouse at that point. So I was like, Fanny, will you read this and tell me, you know, is this viable? Like, can I make something out of this? And she read it and she thought that it was viable. <laughs> she got a lot of great feedback. So then I kind of took it back to the drawing board. Later, I had two or three more beta readers, like early readers, read um, a close to final draft and again, give me like high level feedback, you know, not copy editing mm-hmm. type stuff, but like, you know, this, what, what, I don't understand this section or like this is missing from here, stuff like that. Then after I, I built that in, um, I, I was at the time still like all through this time agonizing, like traditional publishing or self-publishing and trying to research and find out, go to workshops, what have you. But ultimately I, I went with the self-publishing route because, um, I mean, one, it seemed like a book that really, the, the main thing to ask if anyone is thinking about this question is like, what is your goal? What are What's the purpose of you putting out this book? Are you trying to really reach the masses? Um, is it something like um, young adult, like YA or sci-fi where it's like, you just want it to be out there and in virtual bookshops and stuff like that. Um, actually, I think the pandemic has made it even more of a thumb on the scale for self-publishing, but Mm. whatever. Um, Versus like something like this, it's a career change guide for women of color. That's my book. It's called Don't Stay in Your Lane. And it is literally specifically for women of color, although it certainly could help other people who don't identify as such to go from career A to whatever your next destination is in your professional life. So it's pretty niche. (laughs) Um, And it's, it's re- I wanted to write it so that I could help more people that I didn't have capacity to work with one-on-one or who couldn't afford my services. Mm-hmm. So like I said earlier, it's like you take this and you should be able to coach yourself through the whole process from like, you know, burning out and wanting to quit your job to figuring out the new thing and negotiating and all that. So that was my purpose. And so for that, I'm not really trying to reach the masses. Um, I really want people who need this book to be able to find this book. So I knew I just needed like good SEO, you know, like have it available on various social media platforms where I already have audiences and people who I sense could use this information. So that's why I was like, okay, self-publishing. Also, not going to lie, there's a very big financial difference between traditional publishing and self-publishing. So in traditional publishing, and actually, do you already know this stuff? I might. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm like dabbling in the world of, of trying to understand the world of publishing. I don't have a draft yet, though. So. You have what? I don't have a, I don't even have a manuscript yet. So I'm oh. just kind of like, you know, hey, here's the honest to goodness truth. If you're, if you were a mediocre white guy with a whole bunch of confidence, you wouldn't need a draft or a manuscript and you could just get an agent probably for your book. So don't let that hold you back. All right. (laughs) Um, anyway, uh, so right. Financially, if you traditionally publish, I I forget, I forget the numbers a little bit, but it's like for every $10 a book sold, you get like very small amount. Like it's either $1.50 or it's like 15 cents. I forget the math. I know that's a difference of a multiple of 10, <laughs> but perhaps we can uh, look that up and correct it in the record later in the notes. Um, but it's like a very small amount for a whole bunch of money that the book, the book has brought in. Yeah. 
And it wasn't even that that actually was the nail in the coffin for me. It was then to find out that even if you got an advance from a publisher of, I don't know, 10K, 20K would be like a lot for somebody with my level of platform, which is not that big. (laughs) Um, You don't even get any royalties from the book. Like you don't get it back. (laughs) Yeah. You don't get it until you've earned that much back from the book. So think how many copies you would have to sell before you can even make anything else above the advance. So between that and just knowing how hard it is to get a publisher. Um, and you know, yeah, this is a self-help book. It is like a hybrid memoir, like practical self-help business book or whatever. Like that genre is, is kind of tough and it's saturated. Um, and I just felt like I didn't have it in me to like really go for that. Well, and you've already got the exact right audience for this book. You don't have yeah. to go and find it. I, right. you know, I want to write a novel and I also just want, I, I don't want to do SEO. <laughs> I don't want to do marketing. I want a yeah. big fat book deal that comes yeah. with a publicist. Yeah. Nice. We'll get there. Um, but you yes. already have the exact perfect audience right. and people are already coming to you for the exact contents. Exactly. Um, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad I went this route. It definitely was a lot of work. The other thing people would tell me is that like, even if you get a book deal, it's not like they have a whole PR team that's going to do your stuff. They still expect you as the author to do so, so much legwork. And I was like, if I'm already going to do this anyway, like I may as well. (laughs) Exactly. Right. And so, you know, it's, it's a very different uh, financial structure to it. And it just felt like, like within my business funnel, it just made a lot more sense to keep it in house. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see if I have any regrets, but so far, definitely not. (laughs) That's wonderful. Let's take a quick break and see if we have some listener questions. So you alluded to this a little bit, but I'd love to hear more about your, the actual process of writing the book. Did you outline it or plan it? Did you make it up as you went? Uh, tell me about your process. Yes, sure. I I think it was a little bit of both actually because I was more just scared Jen that I like would not actually finish the book. <laughs> so there was always this like slight low-level panic in the back of my mind like got to keep going if I lose momentum like this could be it, you know, and it'll never momentum get out there. Momentum is so important. <laughs> yes, yes. So maybe the thing that is most helpful to share is that one I used Scrivener which is this software program that really makes it easy to move sections around in your book and like make subsections. And I don't know, I found it very, very helpful actually in keeping my narrative flow of my book like sensible and being able to just move things around really easily that you cannot do like in Word or Google Docs or anything. Um, So actually though, before I found out about Scrivener, I had started a draft just straight up just typing in um, like a Word doc, basically. And I had done National Novel Writing Month once in the past. So I was familiar with that method where you force yourself to write 50,000 words in 30 days, something like that. And it comes down to like 1,667 words a day, I think. Um, So I I applied that method basically at the beginning because I was like, I I need to just bang out something. Mm So I aimed for like a word count every day. I blocked two hours 
five days a week and or six days a week, maybe even, and tried really hard to like respect that. Didn't always succeed, but that's how I did it because I also know other people who are really prolific writers. They don't take days off. They just make it part of their daily practice. Like brush your teeth, write your six hundred, you know, sixteen hundred sixty-seven words. <laughs> so I did that brute force method for the beginning. Um, and then after that, there was a lot of just dicing and splicing, moving things around, making it, polishing it. It, it took just a long time. And you have to also like shelf books for a while so that you can then come back to it with fresh eyes, you know? So I guess the answer to your question is, I think I mostly pantsed it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but, but I did, you know, at some point have an outline, I just don't really remember. I don't think I started with it. I think I sort of reverse engineered it and then tried mm-hmm. to make sure it felt even keel like, mm-hmm. throughout and, and made sense. How do you know when it's done? Because <laughs> that's all. I, I will, I will self-edit myself into oblivion. <laughs> uh, that's like a million dollar question. I, I asked my friend this too, who I actually hired as a book consultant basically to help me figure out strategy towards the end, how to self-publish, um, how to do the marketing and promo and stuff like that. Uh, my friend, Melissa Ko. Um, and I asked her because she's a writer and she has written numerous things. Um, and I, and I was like, how many drafts do I need until I know that I'm done? You know? And I was like on, on draft like 12 or something at that point. And she was like, well, you know, once you start getting back edits from other people and they're like, change this comma from here to here, or like, this is missing a period where the edits are so nitty gritty. Or it like, turns into like copy editing. Yes. It's granular. There's no big thing like, oh, huge plot hole here, like if you're writing fiction or, you know, for something like my book, like, oh, you didn't talk about finances at all. Like, why not? Hello. It's so relevant. <laughs> yeah. Like where you're not dealing with edits and suggestions and feedback like that, but the minutia, I think that's when you know it's basically done. And I'm going to throw in there, like done is better than perfect, especially if you are self-publishing and, you know, in a situation like mine. And even if you're publishing, like you're going to have editors from the publishing house who are going to go through this as a fine tooth comb. So don't be like, you know, my natural self and a lot of my clients who are just perfectionists and will hang on to something until you're like, oh, it's absolutely, totally perfect. Because then it's too late. Yeah. Yeah. I don't mean this in like a mean way, but sometimes when I read a book, that's just not that great, but it got a traditional publisher. I'm like, Oh, okay. Like it doesn't have to be like the best book ever written. I, and again, I don't mean, <laughs> I don't mean that like to be critical, but I was like, Oh, like it's kind of encouraging to, mm-hmm. I've, I've caught typos in traditionally published books. I'm like, oh, same. Like, we're all still like human beings, and it's okay. Yes, I know it's human to be flawed. It's beautiful to be flawed. Like, you don't want something that's so glossy and I don't know, just slick that it it feels unnatural. You know, I think that. Yeah, I I think that's really going the wrong direction with things. And you know, to your point. I 100% agree that, you know, whenever I see like a presentation or a workshop by somebody, I'm like, oh, How'd you wow, get here? Not that good. <laughs> like, I got to do this way better. It actually is great for confidence boosting. 
No, um, even though it's a little bit mean, but the, but the truth is like, there's a reason that that person got that platform and got that book deal or whatever, because somebody who's reading their book, like does need that or like mm-hmm. it did help them. And so that also, I think, I hope is encouraging to everybody too. Like what you were saying about my book earlier is like, there's already people who I know who could use this, you know, and this is really for them. So it, it, everything else is kind of not relevant at a certain point. Like it's, it's not about the money. It's not about the like sales strategy. It's just, I need to be able to help people beyond the however many waking hours I have in a day, you know? Um, so, so remembering that if, if you like, if you're a writer, if you're writing um, and you've got that book inside you, like somebody needs that. And so it has to be out there for that somebody to find and read. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah. really, when I, you know, when I'm coaching the writers at Mochi or even, even with my own work, I try to, I try to use like the idea of one reader, like who is the one person that I really want to read this and what do I want them to gain from it? Because, you know, your, your book is not going to be the only thing this person ever reads in their life. This article is not going to be the only thing this person ever reads in their life. So just pick one point if they get nothing yeah. else out of it. Um, I love what, that. That's what I try to do anyway. It doesn't always work. I mean, I, I think it's so true and it applies to so many things for entrepreneurs and small business owners too. And I want to give you a shout out right now about your freebie to calculate like how much you need to charge to meet your bills and like financial obligations. Basically that, that spreadsheet that you've made, that's one of your main freebies if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, which I've like recommended to clients to download and stuff like that. Cause it's just so good. Like, well, and I, well, this is probably a bad example. Cause I feel like that one is perfect. But <laughs> the point is like when you're making anything it, like the bar for its value doesn't have to be the top, 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 you know, like it, again, it just needs to be able to help like one person or a handful of people. Um, and it's not going to do that if you're like keeping it to yourself <laughs> If you're hoarding it and not sharing it beyond you. Yeah, so. definitely. Anyway, everybody download Jen's freebie. It's really excellent. <laughs> I'll put uh, a link in the notes. It. <laughs> yes, it is the great calculator. If I, could, if I yes. can help one person not make negative money from their freelancing, I will be happy. I know. Help people not undercharge because that's a real thing. Like that's a very, very um, important mission. And your rate calculator is really helpful for that my first business I had a little like photography side hustle thing and like a year into it I finally like tallied up my numbers and I was like oh I'm paying to let people take their pic to to have people let me take their picture (laughs) I'm not only not profiting I'm losing money I'm giving my pictures away okay that's that's cool that's fine (laughs) it's not a great feeling I know. <laughs> so are you doing anything exciting leading up to your book launch? Um, well, one exciting thing is the special exclusive offer for your listeners, which I will share with everybody at the very end um, of this podcast. But um, what else is exciting? Uh, I might be doing, I have to figure out the logistics for this, but I'm thinking that what I'll do is 
Okay. And this is like a long story. So I, I may not have to share all of it with you, but basically I thought with the print on demand service that I'm using, I thought that what I was going to do was get orders in from my website, then, you know, just transfer automate the orders from there to the print on demand place. And then that they, they would just ship out the books like right before my launch date, which is August 27th. Because of the pandemic, I found out after everything was set and like all my files were uploaded and the book was like ready to be like out there, like printed by them or whatever, that it was going to take up to 22 days between an order going in and it being printed and then shipped like, you know, media mail or whatever. Yeah. So I was like, oh no. Like, I can't have people, well, that's what I was telling myself. I can't have people waiting like basically a month from when they order to get their book. That's too much, you know? Like, I I didn't feel good about that. So what I basically ended up doing was realizing I had to do fulfillment myself, which is not what I wanted to do. Oh, boy. At least for the pre-launch phase. Mm -hmm. So actually today, 200 books are arriving to my house. Oh, my God. And so the dark side of self-publishing. I know. The things <laughs> that you really don't think are gonna happen, they might happen to you. So, but anyway, it, it still is okay. Like I, I went through a process of just like having to recalibrate and deal with it. And yeah, it's a pandemic. And I don't want people to work in unsafe conditions. So I, you know, don't wanna be mad at the print printer or whatever. So anyway, the plan is I'm gonna probably do like a a zoom for you know, everybody who pre-orders the book up to that point where they can come and like hang out with me virtually as I like sign people's books and package oh, okay. them up with like a yeah. free little bookmark that they're getting limited edition bookmark and like, you know, print out labels, whatever. Like as I'm doing it in this space in my <laughs> office, like just have people hang out in a Zoom um, instead of like a book launch party or something, which I'm not really into. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so that's an idea. It might be coming down the pike, but you know, uh, just follow my Instagram if you're interested and uh, I'll post updates there. Okay. Yeah. And speaking of which, last thing, where can listeners find you and your book? Yes. Okay. So my website is embracechange.nyc. That's where everything lives, including um, info about my book. You can click the banner up there or go to the book tab at the top of the menu. Um, I also have a number of free COVID-19 career guides that I made for women of color. So those are available for free download. And uh, I don't know, somewhere upwards of six or 700 people have downloaded them already. So I think they've been very helpful. I've got one for job seekers, one for career changers, and one for entrepreneurs. You could download one, two, all three if you want. That's under my resources tab at my website. Um, So feel free to get those. I have a newsletter on which I run uh, every other week giveaways through the summer, uh, the end of this month. Um, That's called The Trajectory, and you can sign up at the sign up button on my website. And lastly, if you're into the social media platforms, you can follow me on LinkedIn under my name, Cynthia Pong, or on Instagram at embracechange.com. Ooh, sorry, at embracechangenyc. That's where I share. like career advice and stuff like that on a day-to-day basis. So those are all the ways. Don't forget, I have a special offer for you that Jen's going to share at the end. Um, Yeah. 
think that's it. Thank you so much. It was so fun to Thank see you, you virtually again. I know. Maybe someday know. in person. <laughs> I know. Who knows? Who knows what life will bring? I mean, so many things this year that we haven't been able to predict. So, so many things and a 2020 bingo board that I was not expecting. <laughs> oh, that's an idea. A bingo board for 2020 that you could sell as part of a, another part of your business funnel. <laughs> I would buy that. <laughs> Which disaster do you want to have next? (laughs) All right. Thank you so much, Cynthia. Thank you, Jen. It's been great. If Aunt Rona and the rest of 2020 has got you like, yo, I need a change in my life, check out Cynthia's book, Don't Stay in Your Lane, The Career Change Guide for Women of Color. I had to blunder through various job and career changes all on my own, And do I ever wish I'd had a resource like Cynthia's book to guide me? She shares candidly from her own experience and provides practical exercises and reflection questions to help you be your own career coach. There's whole sections on martyr complex and imposter syndrome that I'm just gonna staple to my forehead if you don't mind. Cynthia has a special offer exclusively for Chief Executive Anti listeners. Pre-order a copy of Don't Stay in Your Lane before August 26th at 11.59 p.m. and you'll get access to her online workshop, Three Strategies to Get Paid More in Money, Time, and Respect, absolutely free. You can even choose between the entrepreneur track or the salaried employee track for the workshop. All you need to do is go to embracechange.nyc book and add both the book, Don't Stay in Your Lane, and the workshop, Three Strategies to Get Paid More, to your cart and use code ANTI, that's A-U-N-T-I-E at checkout and you'll get the workshop for free. That's embracechange.nyc slash book and use code A-U-N-T-I-E at checkout. Thanks for listening to Chief Executive Anti. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe with your favorite podcast player and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That really helps get the word out about the show and provides the external motivation I need to keep going. You can find show notes, links, and other resources at chiefexecutiveanti.com. That's chiefexecutiveauntie.com. Special thanks to Sue Ann Shaw for mixing and mastering this episode, composing the music, and generally being a good human. Alyssa De La Rosa for creating the branding and my distribution partner, Mochi Magazine. See you next time.